بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا اللهم نور قلوبنا بعلمك واستعمل ابداننا لطاعتك ووفقنا لما تحب وترضى من قولي والعمل والفعل والنيه والهدى انك على كل شيء قدير يا فتاح يا فتاح يا فتاح يا وهاب يا وهاب يا وهاب يا جبار يا جبار يا جبار قال الله سبحانه وتعالى ويوم يحشرهم وما يعبدون من دون الله فيقول أأنتم أضللتم عبادي هؤلاء أم هم ضلوا السبيل قالوا سبحانك ما كان ينبغي لنا أن نتخذ من دونك من أولياء ولكن متعتهم وآباءهم حتى نسوا الذكر وكانوا قوما بورا فقد كذبوكم بما تقولون فما تستطيعون صرفا ولا نصرا ومن يظلم منكم نذقه عذابا كبيرا وما ارسلنا قبلك من المرسلين الا انهم لا ياكلون الطعام ويمشون في الاسواق وجعلنا بعضكم لبعض فتنه اتصبرون وكان ربك بصيرا beloved brothers and sisters dear listeners and dear students assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala most gracious most merciful who has continued to bless us with iman health afia in all different aspects of our life and who has blessed us to be here tonight and to listen whether we're in person or from somewhere else uh, the ability to connect an, an hour a week with the blessed book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, in which lies the success of this world and the next for all of humanity for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to choose us from amongst millions of people to be able to sit an hour a week with the Quran is something that speaks uh, volumes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's special relationship, connection, love for us. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be blessed here. Uh, and as we sit here, let us renew our intention that we are sitting only and solely to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We speak and we listen. We hear only for the sake of Allah. With the niyyah of the whatever good we hear, we shall practice on it immediately and that we shall inshallah propagate it to others as well. And we ask Allah azza wa jal that Ya Allah, the Quran has in it the answers to all of the problems of the world of the past, the present, and the future, national level, international level, and my own domestic issues. Ya Allah, as I sit in front of the Qur'an for this next hour, allow me to hear such things and share such things, which will be a means of removing difficulty from my life and answering questions and doubts and whatever else I am going through in my spiritual life. Ya Allah, allow this dars in which we are sitting with your kalam to become a means of finding solutions to my problems. Inshallah, if we are sincere in this dua, we will all benefit tremendously. Allah Azza wa Jal, in the previous uh, verses as, uh, of last week, we spoke, we spoke about, described hellfire extensively. And then, of course, as always is the uh, wisdom and the sunnah of Allah, wherever He speaks about things that will intimidate us and grant, give us fear, create, cultivate fear, He will always also share things that will cultivate hope. So after the fire, discussion of the fire of hell, and a detailed description, and um, a, uh, almost painting a picture of hellfire, and we talked about how it's the hellfire, the fire itself has been given, uh, you know, the, the, in the world, in the akhirah, a very real um, animal type or a human type feel to it with its breath, with its sounds, with its speech. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala paints a picture of beautiful Jannah that has been promised to those who have people of taqwa. And then Allah asks, what's better? Would you rather enjoy the life of eternity and, and paradise here? Uh, or would you prefer this hellfire? You choose. And notice Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala goes to the extent, He calls it wa'dam mas'ula. That this paradise for the fact for the people who do good, this is a promise. I have taken it upon myself and you can ask me about it. You can ask me, Ya Allah, we've asked you, we are, we are hoping for this. It's mentioned uh, in, by Imam Suyuti in Durr al-Manthur. He mentions that, in the malaika tas'alu lahum thalika fi qawlim wa adkhilhum jannati adnini allati wa'attam. Qala Sa'id wa sami'atu Aba Hazim yaqul, idha kana yawm al-qiyama, qala al-mu'minun, rabbana amilla laka billadhi amartana, fanjiz lana ma wa'attana, fadhalika qawluhu ta'ala wa'adam mas'ula. It's mentioned that on the day of judgment, the believers will say, Oh Allah, we led a life based on what you had asked us to do. We did what you asked us to do. So we ask you now that you fulfill your end of the deal. 
We did what we were supposed to do. We led a life of piety and righteousness. Now we ask you to fulfill your end of the deal. Grant us what you have promised us. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is letting us ask Him on the day of judgment. That you promised us this, where is it? Subhanallah. But my beloved friends, let's just remember the first part. How many of us right now as we speak, feel that we are in a position that on the day of judgment, we can say this to Allah. We can say this to Allah that, Ya Allah, we, we did what you told us to do. Now give us what you promised us. That's a bold statement. And there are certain people who will be able to say the second part. But we have to make sure we lived, lived our life based on the first part. That we actually did what we were asked to do so that we can ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant us whatever He has promised us. For on that day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will assemble those of them whom, referring to the disbelievers, and all of those that they worshipped besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yawmul Hashr, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking about Yawmul Hashr, the day of gathering, where people from the time of Adam till the last person who will come before the day of judgment will be gathered together in one place for one single purpose. That is to decide who is going to paradise and who is going to hellfire. Today when there is a traffic on the, on the highway, or there a room is packed beyond capacity, how do we feel? Simple, if you have more than three or four people in a car, you say I'm, it's claustrophobic, it's really tight, there's no space here. Imagine trillions of humans and trillions upon trillions of jinn gathered together and animals gathered together. What must be the scene of Yawmul Hashr? Imagine how uh, tight it will be for those who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not give them a spot under His throne. Imagine for the average person how challenging that day must, must be. So on that day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will gather the disbelievers and whatever they worshipped besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fayaqulu, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to those false gods. Who are those false gods? Some of them are humans. Some of them are even prophets like Nabi Uzair and Nabi Isa. Some of them are not human. Some of them are, are uh, you know, fire. Some of, them, some of those things are jamadat, non-living things like fire or, or idols or other things that they worshipped or shaitan himself. Fayaqulu, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to those false gods, are you the ones who led my servants astray? Or did they themselves stray, from, stray away from the right path? So, ibadah, what is ibadah? Ibadah is when a person obeys the orders of his uh, uh, being that is being worshipped. So now we have to look at the person whose orders we are taking and, and we are obeying. Are these orders from him? Or are, the, are these orders that he is giving to you that he has received from someone above him? So if these orders are his own, then see if it's permissible, if it does not contradict the sharia, then no problem. Someone says, I want you to open that window. Okay, you don't need to, it doesn't contradict the sharia, so go ahead and open the window. It's not an, it's not an issue. And if, the, if it contradicts the sharia, then naturally we will say, no, we cannot take those orders. And if, if the affairs are not from him, if the orders are not from him, but rather they are from someone who is above and beyond him, uh, then same thing, we have to see that is that person he's taking orders from? Don't just say I've received orders. Received orders from who? For example, when Nabi alayhi salatu was was sitting in the Masjid al-Nabawi alayhi salatu and the two guards and two uh, uh, foots of two soldiers from the Persian emperor came to arrest al-Ayyadhu billah, the Prophet sallallahu They came to, to speak to him. They came from one side, the Prophet turned his face away. They came from the other side to speak to him. They had that, that level of, of, I guess, etiquette that, you know, they, they stood up and turned around. They didn't, you know, abuse him in that sense with, physically. So they, went, they came from the other side. The Prophet turned his face the other way. So this happened multiple times that they would come and stand, sit to speak to him and the Prophet would simply ignore them and turn his face away. Then the Prophet asked them, that why is it that you have your physical features like this? Why do you have long mustaches and no beards? These are not even Muslims. These are Persian soldiers coming on behalf of the Persian emperor. So they said, Amarana Rabbuna, our Lord commanded us. We're not following our own orders. We have received orders from the top. They used to call their king Rabb. Our master, the king, has ordered us. The Persian emperor has ordered us to shave our beards and lengthen our mustaches. So the Prophet ﷺ immediately responded to him, to him, to them, and said, "Walakin, however, that's your orders. Walakin, amarani Rabbi, my Lord has ordered me. 
And my Lord has ordered me complete opposite. That that trim the mustache and lengthen the beard. Complete opposite. It's so interesting how they were saying that we've got, oh, it's not our fault, we got orders. But Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, who is this person you're getting orders from? Rabbul Alameen is Allah. He's my Lord, He's your Lord. And He's the Lord of your Persian Emperor as well. He has given orders that are completely directly opposite of that, which is to lengthen the beard and uh, and, and, and remove them uh, or shorten the mustache. So when a command comes from someone on top as well, we have to see. Just because we are receiving orders, we don't go through it. We don't fulfill it. We have to make sure that it goes in line with what the deen has asked us. You're seeing what's happening, unfolding in, in, in France right now. I'm sure all of you are aware. The ban came on niqab first, the, the covering over the face. Then the, niqab, the ban came over the scarf, headscarf. And then the ban came... Uh, last, you know, last week and this was the first day this week was the first week of school I think so of the new academic year and the ban came on just any loose fitted clothing that will look like a jilbab right dress long loose dresses that resemble the jilbab that resemble the, the, the dress of modesty that, that Muslim women may wear well Jewish women and Christian women who follow laws of modesty also dress in that same manner but of course the targeting of Muslims and so they said only a handful in the entire millions who attended school. I think only 300 um, choose to still come to school with a dress. And then they were told that you will have to leave school unless you change it. And so all of them ended up changing except for 60 uh, in the entire country who were sent home. And so the, uh, the commentary on that was it seems like the overall the country is accepted. The country is accepted, both Muslim and non-Muslim, these new rules. Okay, this is happening in 2023. In the the land of you know the, the the part of the country the world that's known to be the land of the free. That's what's happening right now. And interestingly, all those who champion women's rights, the feminist, between, from the men and the women, everyone is silent. It is so interesting that you see this the feminist movement those talk about the fact that we stand up for women's rights. How come they're silent when practicing Muslim women are being abused to this degree? In one masjid. I went, the, the, the board was said to me, the president of the board, that we are a masjid built on inclusivity. Okay, you know these are key words nowadays. And we are very proud to say that we have one door for men and women to enter the masjid. This is our identity. This is our identity, that we have one main door for men and women to, uh, to enter. And our board meetings, we proudly have men and women sit together. Our classrooms sit together, everything. I was, uh, you know, just listening. So later on, a scholar told me that he said, we rented space in that masjid to conduct a weekend class, a workshop or a seminar for people who are registered with that organization. Yani this third party organization that is renting the space from the masjid to do a program. And they are a, a more traditional conservative practicing Muslims. So the people, the women and the men who came are of a certain type different from maybe the, the ones who are running the masjid. They naturally, they wanted a classroom space where the women and men would sit separately. And so they put up their you know, barriers that are available there, they put up there. Can you imagine that the, the people from the office came and removed the barriers and said, if, it's, if the masjid is being used, then we cannot allow any barrier of any sort between men and women. And so the organizers and the teachers said, wait, hold on, you respect women and being included. What about the rights of hijabi, niqabi women who find it that if they were to be told to sit in the same place next to a male in a classroom that they would feel that they're being violated. This is violating their rights. They have come to a class and they don't want to be sitting next to boys or get men. And the men don't feel comfortable sitting to women. What about their rights? What about inclusivity of these group of people? Well, the, guess what? That's where it all shuts down. There's no inclusivity for practicing traditional women and men. So it's, what is happening in France is happening within our own Muslim community in this country, in masjid boards and institutions across this country. You need to be real, realize that how could we sit and complain about non-Muslim secularists when our own are doing this. Right? This is the degree of so-called feminism and women's rights. That this women's rights is only specific to who? To women who don't want to follow the Qur'an and Sunnah. We have to champion their rights. But those women who want to follow the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, you know, we don't care about them. This is the honest hypocrisy that no one wants to speak about. But that is unfortunately becoming more and more prevalent. May Allah guide us and allow us to recognize the truth and inspire us to follow it. Allow us to recognize falsehood and allow us to stay away from it.
So here you go. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is, is mentioning that this is what ibadah is. Huh? We're learning about ibadah. That what is ibadah is that a person uh, obeys the command of the one who, of who is worshipping. And even if other people around us amongst the humans ask us to do something else, we have to compare with what they say with against what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. As it said, لا طاعت في, لا طاعت في الخالق, There is no obedience to the creation if it entails the disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want all of us brothers and sisters who are listening and those who, are, who will listen afterwards to take a moment to reflect on what happened in France. And I want you to put yourself, you guess it's a nine hour flight to Paris from here, direct flights, multiple flights a day. It's very close. It's part of Europe, right? It's part of the first world. Very, there are millions, five million plus Muslims living there. Many of our, our, our Moroccan and North African brothers sitting here will have relatives out there in France. I want you for a moment to reflect on this story today and put you and your family, your wife, your husband, your daughter, your son in this position and say, Allah forbid, that was a rule of the land you are living in. What would you do? What would you do? It's time to ask these hard questions. Spend your night thinking about this. That it's easy to have slogans and fulan, fulan, fulan. But when orders like this come about, what shall you do? How valuable is your schooling to you? How valuable is your passport to you? How valuable is your residence to you? How valuable is your real estate to you? How valuable is your bank account to you? It's easy to say Islam and we love Allah and we love Rasulullah and fulan, fulan. But when push comes to shove, and when things become difficult, then we will see who is the reality, a true believer and who's not. And this is exactly what is fitna. This is exactly what a fitna is. A fitna is a process of separating, as they say, the men from the boys. The true people from the hypocrites. Yeah, you're going to say easier said. No, but that's it. How beloved is Allah and His Rasul to you? What does the command of Allah? Put a sahabi, find me the youngest sahabiyya, a 13-year-old sahabi, male or female. Put him in a position like what's happening in France. Ask yourself, would, would they just say, khalas, we follow the rules, we got to go to school, man. We're in Europe, we're in the first world country. Move on. Can you imagine any of the... Yani, there is no lowly sahabi, but even those who are the most junior from the sahaba, what would the response be? It's a, it is a very uh, you know, uneasy question to ask ourselves, but it is happening as we speak now. So I'm asking you to ask yourself this. And it's not an easy question for me to answer. Uh, you and I were in the same boat. I'm not saying I'm speaking to you from the 10th floor. Well, I'm the same boat with you. I'm asking you to reflect. Put this as a litmus test. If this happens today here, it's happening in India, it's happening in Africa, it's happening all over the world where Muslims are getting, going through more difficulty and people wondering, oh Mahdi's around the corner. Remember, according to my Ustad, Mahdi will he'll come. He will only come when things will become so difficult that it will, like the Muslims practicing Muslims will be literally suffocating. Done. There will be no way for them to practice Islam. Right now we have full freedom. But when, when for Mahdi to come, things have to become so bad that it will be super, almost next to impossible for any practicing Muslim to survive. And they will be begging, begging, begging Allah for help. Those people who want to practice the deen across the globe, but they will not be able to do so, they will be begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help. And when their begging and crying reaches the threshold, the level that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants, then Allah azza will send His assistance in the form of Mahdi and those who will come with Him. So let's not sit there and just we waiting for Mahdi to sit down. No, it's not going to happen. Between us and Mahdi are what? A lot of days of difficulty that are going to continue to get worse. So this is not a hypothetical scenario I'm sharing with you. It's a real scenario that is unfolding now as we speak. And similar and worse than this are happening in India and other places. You're all re reading. You're all aware. If you're not aware, read it. Look what's going on. Look what's happening in subhanAllah, a place where my parents migrated from, a place where my parents called home. And I would also call my parents home, have a great affinity with that country. But see subhanAllah what type of difficulty Muslims are going through. It, it, just because it isn't here at the moment, let's not forget about it. Let's not forget those Muslims are going through difficulty. And then beyond that, let's not forget asking ourselves this question, what will happen if I am in that situation? This, these are the days of fitna. And this is where the true believers, لِيَمِيزَ اللَّهُ الْخَبِيثَ مِنَ الطَّيِّبِ Allah Azza wa says, Allah will separate the pure ones from the evil ones, the pure ones from the filthy ones. And many other verses of the Qur'an speak about this. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here is asking, is gonna be gathering the abid and the ma'bud, the worshipper of the, of the, uh, the worshipper 
of, beside, of, the, of, of anyone besides Allah and those who were worshipped. They will all be gathered together. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will gather them in one place. Why? Because the worshipper, if he is going towards hell, he'll be thinking that my false god, which he thought was God, will come and save me. What do we have this false god? The false god is the false notion that material success and a passport of a certain country will gain, get me salvation even if I turn my back to my Lord. That's a false god right there. A person is worshipping a passport. A person is worshipping a home. A person is worshipping a bank balance. How is that any difference? That this, you have an option of migrating. Or you have an option of living and, with a lesser income. But your deen will be saved. You have an option of choosing a less prestigious university. But your deen will be saved. You have an option of homeschooling. But your deen will be saved. And a person says, no, 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 no. That's great, but not for me. Because success in material gain, success, material, material success, and material, professional success, and, and success in a bank balance is what I worship. We don't say that. But our actions speak louder than our words. But if you have the choice, a person will say, fine. How many mothers and fathers will say, son, you're going to, th you're going to university, please take off your kufi. Please take off your thobe. Please take off your scarf. When you're driving outside, please do not be like a Muslim. SubhanAllah. What is this? You're traveling through the airport. Why, what happens to the Sikhs? What happens to the Hindus? Which, find, find me which Hindu politician out there. And which Hindu CEO is shying away from his beliefs. And why is it, subhanAllah, a Muslim going, going to a small community college is being told by his parents, take off the jilbab, take off the niqab, take off the hijab, take off your kufi, don't pray in public, pray at home in the night. This is norm in our community. So who is it that we worship? What is it that we fear? Is it fear of Allah Azza wa Jal? Or is it the fear of missing out in life? Missing out that promotion? Missing out, you know, an opportunity for a good, great internship? These are honest questions every man has to ask himself. That truly, am I worshipping Allah Azza wa Jal? Or am I worshipping something else? Allah wants those people who worshipped false gods, including money, including material gain, including position and power, Allah wants them to say, I want you to come face to face with what you worship and see that both of you are going to go in hell together. And because why? He's going to be thinking, oh, I'm going in hell, but I'm going to get reinforcements. I'm going to get saved. No, 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 no. You're not going to get saved. He's right next to you. Look at him. He's right next to you. The thing that you decided to turn your back against Allah to worship, He is right next to you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gathered them together. And then Allah says, Did you mislead my servants? So who is He speaking to? He is speaking to both human prophets, like Isa salam, Uzzayr and others. And He's also speaking to jamadat, speaking to non-living things, rocks, stones, um, anything else, fire, anything else that people worshipped. So, we're not, we're not going to say that Allah Azza is only speaking. We, there's no need for us to say that Allah is only speaking to those who have intelligence from the, those who are being worshipped. No, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be speaking to all of them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be speaking to all of them. And He will be saying, did you ask them to uh, miss, did you ask them to worship you or did, did they begin to be misled themselves The Quran says wa min shay'in illa yusabbihu bihamdihi walakin la tafqahuna tasbihahum No one will be there is not a single creation of Allah but, but it glorifies Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but it's simply that you don't understand its glorification This ayah amongst many other verses explains to us that the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also what? speaks it's not just us وَلِلَّهِ يَسْجُدْ to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala everything in the heavens and the earth prostrates and what else? يُسَبِّحْ glorifies interesting thing I was speaking to one of our students here over the weekend he was working on a project Allah barakah in his time and allow him to complete it a, a proposal for a fiqhi conference on AI. Alright? An artificial, in, artificial intelligence, the fiqh around that. It's a very interesting topic and a, a, work, a seminar for ulama to attend and present papers on. So he was mentioning over the weekend that how he asked me, he said, Shaykh, is there any hadith that speaks about animals speaking to humans before the end of times? 
And I said, let me look it up. And sure enough, you know, I didn't know the exact text. So then I looked it up and I shared it with him. I said, yes, Nabi alayhi salatu wasalam has mentioned this in hadith, that this will happen. I swear by that being in whose life is in my, who's, in whose hand is my life, the day of judgment will not come until the uh, predatory animals will begin to speak to humans. Siba, specifically predatory animals or generally animals, will be speaking to the humans. And the hadith continues. So he, I said, why? And he was very shocked. I said, why is that? And he said that that is because uh, there is a latest study how they are, they have recordings of the communications between many animals, like uh, monkeys and baboons and, and whales and dolphins and so forth. Hundreds of hours of recording of the sounds that they make. Now, using artificial intelligence, what they, have, what they would like to do is study those sounds and be able to understand the, uh, uh, the, the pattern within those sounds and come and understand a whole entire what? Decode their language. And decoding their language will then now allow human beings to use via AI to actually not just understand what they're saying, but rather communicate with them. So you type up out a message, you put it, and you have the recordings of their sounds, and that message, based on once you figured out the language of the whales, uh, will be able to take that message that you typed and put it into, their, into the sound that the whales will make and now send out a signal. So they've already done recordings of it where they've recorded some of the sounds and then played it back from a beach and the whales responded. Right? So they are saying in the next few decades, you'll be able to have complete documentaries on any and all animals that they're studying. Hundreds of animals. Birds, ants, bees. And they will not have a narrator explaining how the bees work, but rather the bees will be speaking themselves of how they operate. The ants will be speaking about, it will be their language of how they're talking amongst themselves, and the subtitles will be what? Will be actual the language of the animal. This is the, the, they're expecting to be able to achieve that in the next couple of decades. So for some animals, even much, much sooner than that. The same way they have Google Translate between uh, any two languages in the world, without the, you know, without the engineer behind that knowing even a single word. But once you create, once you write out those logarithms or you do the coding for it to start analyzing the patterns, it's all yani, auto, autopilot. So that type of technology is just the beginning of where we're headed. To be able to decode the communication between animals and for them, for us to communicate with them and them to communicate with us. But subhanallah, we already have a hadith that tells us this is going to happen. Isn't this amazing? How it should increase a person's faith in iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For those who think that animals cannot speak and we think that the, hadith, the Qur'an is just weird, is just metaphor, metaphor, it's no metaphor. The Qur'an already spoke about the, 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 the namla speaking and the other things, you know, the, the ant speaking, etc. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaking to the honeybee and so forth. So the advancements of the world and technology will only create more conviction and more yaqeen in, in our deen. For those who have the basira and the faham and the foresight. And for those who don't, all of this technology will make them say, Brother, technology is great. This is amazing. And instead of them taking them closer to Allah, it will make them what? Begin to worship the technology. Eventually in the form, this technology will take the jism of who? Of Dajjal. Dajjal, you can say in my understanding, in my words, is like the, the, the combination of the height and technology and the height of sihr, of magic. Right? It's shaitaniyat, pure devilness, and the height of, of a shaitani deception and shaitani magic and, and sorcery combined with technology. So now when a person looks at that, the one who is blindly materialistic, blindly is excited about technology and not seeing the harms of this or the benefit and doesn't study it in the light of the deen, he will be so thrilled by it that eventually when technology AI will ask him to say, obey me, then he will. Read about a warning of some of the AI scientists, engineers, from like past few years ago, that they, they mentioned that they thought uh, that uh, with by 2040, I think so, uh, or something of that sort, that AI will be capable of developing itself, having more intelligence than the entire human race combined, all, and will be able to uh, develop a code and law by which humans need to obey, and will be able to dictate upon them the importance of obeying it.
I mean, sure, some of the students here have read that uh, study, or rather, the warning by an, by um, uh, a scientist working in this field ten years ago. And they're saying this will happen by you know possibly by 2040, 2050. That's not long, right? What is that? Allahu alam. But that just seems to be the 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 the, the final steps before the coming of Dajjal. This is where I understand the fact that this Dajjal is Antichrist is, is what is the combination of sihr and technology. So if a person does not have his, if a person is not well grounded, unfortunately, instead of becoming a greater, stauncher follower of the deen, Allahu Akbar, he will become a greatest kafir. So it's a very dangerous, slippery slope. And that is why all of those, all of those who are in the industry, in computer science and computer engineering and AI and others. We have to be extremely gr well grounded in our deen. We have to be well grounded in Quran and study of Quran and Hadith. And we know that's the future. I understand that. That is the future. But at what cost? Are you going to lose your deen? Are you going to make decisions? Are you going to make moves that will turn people away from Islam? There is this general excitement over technology which I think is extremely naive. People talk about apps, Quran app, Fulan app, this app, that app, they get excited. Now we already have a problem with Hufal leading Tarawi by reading through their smartwatches. It's been happening for the past few years. Okay? With the more dependence, dependency, the more we become dependent on apps and websites for Islamic knowledge and for Quran and hadith studies, what will happen? The shallower our knowledge will become. Just like today, because of our over-dependence on navigation, most people can't drive back home from work to their house, from a banquet hall or a soccer game back to their home. They, how, they don't know. Because they've done it 10 times. Honestly, ask yourself, you've done it 20 times, 30 times, but you're always just listening to the navigation, and you simply, you're, you're, the part of the brain Allah has naturally given you to navigate is being, is being, is being killed off. Because of it not being utilized. So that ability Allah has given us to memorize Qur'an, memorize hadith, spend hours in the library studying. Now we start relying on apps. Why should I flip through hadith books? Why should I flip through dictionaries? When I have an app, I can simply type away. This is not a, a something to applaud. If you are used, it's crutches. Use crutches if, you're, if your foot, leg broke. But we, which person would walk around for the rest of his life on crutches? What's going happen, to happen to your own feet? So use technology sparingly, only when it's needed, but make sure you use it while you do not become dependent upon it. If we become dependent on it, then we are bringing about the hadith, the manifestation of the hadith that Rasulullah said, Yusra ala kitabillahi layla wa kama qala A night will come on the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A book of Allah, a night will, such, will come that the entire book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will disappear, will be uplifted from this world. You wonder how is that going to happen? We have thousands of hafad. Yes, it more than likely means Allahu alam, Allah knows best. But that as time will go forward, people will start depending more on technology. You already, I just read today in Las Vegas that now drinks are being served by AI robots. And it's a very heavy service industry. So more and more robots and AI are being introduced. And now the, the, the working class people are now are trying to figure out what we're going to have to do about our jobs. So you want an imam that shows up on time and you can choose any qari you want for every salah. He sounds like that. Imagine an AI robotic imam, right? Subhanallah, who goes up, say today, you know, Maghrib, we want to hear Shuraim. Aisha, we want to hear Ghamadi. MashaAllah, done. Khalas, he never has a sore throat. He's never late. Right? He's never in a bad mood. He never makes mistakes. Mashallah, that sounds great. People love and on top of that, imagine everyone's outsourcing, right? China, Pakistan, what? Price, price. Yeah, you don't have to pay. No health, no health insurance, nothing, man. Just battery every every couple months we change the batteries on, on it. Mashallah, thousand dollars a month. Maybe just outright we buy them out for seventy thousand. Done deal. Right? You uh, don't have to do it. save the money on the water bill as well. Khalas, and you just put him in next to the vacuum cleaner, let him sleep there. Charge next to the vacuum cleaner. Imam doesn't need a house, nothing. People will love that. I'm sure communities across right now say, sign me up. But subhanAllah, this is not far-fetched. This is not far-fetched. Already within the mataf, around the Kaaba, they have already AI robots giving fatwa. Are you aware of this? Already, the, 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 the so-called mutawas with the red gultaras who used to walk around giving answers are out. They have robots all around Masjid al-Haram. 
right, to answer your questions. This has already taken place. It's, it's advertised. So this is not something far-fetched, what I'm telling you. So beware. Technology, subhanAllah, is definitely a double-edged sword. And it is, it is the reason why this world will fall apart and will go towards Dajjaliyat and will go towards Kufr and will forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they say, why do you need God when you have this? Everything is instantaneous. Everything, whatever God, God fulfills my needs, this fulfills my needs. Who needs God when you get your needs fulfilled? So this is something I've shared in previous tafsirs as well, but it's something extremely relevant. That we need to be careful. We cannot get overexcited like little children in a, in a chocolate factory around technology. Understand what you're dealing with is extremely you know, dangerous. And it has to be, if you're in that field or not in that field, as a consumer, connect yourself with the teachings of Allah and His Rasul, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Have you strayed, have you led my servants astray? Why did I go on to this whole uh, plan tangent, by the way? This was a plan tangent. That uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is capable of speaking to everyone, including fire, including stones and rocks. They all have a level of intelligence. And right now, the world is coming to figure that out slowly. Now, why would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rebuke the prophets or speak to the prophets in this manner? Did you mislead my servants? Why? Allah Azawajal is sending the a signal to all the rest of the people. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is sending the signal to the rest of the people that if I can address my prophets like this, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you can gain my sympathy? This, I'm upset, I'm angry today. As it comes in the hadith, the Prophet said, Allah will be angry at a level that he's never been angry before like this. And so when he speaks to his prophets in this manner, then imagine what about the rest of the people? If the idea is to let other people listen to this dialogue and to wake up and to be intimidated. Did you mislead them or did they get misled themselves? This is similar to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions regarding Isa alayhi salam in the seventh juz, uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, um, that Have, are you the one aanta are you the one who's, who took gods besides me did you are you the one who ordered people to to worship you and to worship your mother allah will tell with qarallahu ya isa maryam aanta qulta linnas ittakhiduni wa ummiya ilahayni min dunillah did you tell the people to make me and my mother gods besides allah what's allah does isa some give the answer qala subhanak Glory be to you. Ya Allah, you are above and beyond such statements. Meaning, what does this mean? This is very interesting because it's, kind of, it's the next ayah right here, subhanak. What does it mean, subhanak? Yes. Allah is above everything, correct. But now think, why are we saying Allah is above at this time? We are saying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Ya Allah... If you chose a prophet who would turn against you after some time and would start misleading the people away from you and say, hey, worship me and worship my mother. That would mean that there was a flaw in your choosing. That you chose a person who would turn against you. You would choose an agent who would backstab you as we would say. And you can't do that. You are above and beyond that. You are absolutely munazza. You cannot make such a mistake. Allahu Akbar. What an amazing answer, right? That uh, the prophets are selling, is telling Allah, Subhanak, you're asking us if we turn against you? No way. How can we turn against you? Because if we were to turn against you, it means someone is saying that you made a wrong decision in choosing us to be your prophets because we backstabbed you and we went against your message. And you are above and beyond such mistakes. You are ta'ala Allahu amdalik above and beyond all of that. So this is why Isa alayhi salam also said, Subhanak, glory be to you, Allah. Ma kana yambaghi lana an attakhidak. Subhanak, ma kana lana an... What's that? Antaqulta linnasi attakhiduni ya umma ilahini min dunillah. Qala subhanak, ma yakunu li an aqula ma laysa li bihaq. It is not befitting for me to say anything except what I'm supposed to say. I can't speak. I can't speak out of line. You're watching me. How can I speak out of line? In kuntu qultuhu, if I really said it, faqad alimta, you already know it. If I genuinely said it, you already know it. For indeed, you know what's in my heart. And I don't know what's in yours. 
Indeed, you are the one who has full knowledge of all the unseen. What's the purpose of this dialogue? Allah already knows what's in Isa salam, what he did, what he didn't do. And Isa salam saying that. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to know all of those who worship Isa. Listen, look at my dialogue with the so-called so God of yours. So-called son, son of God. Look at my communication. What chance do you have of survival? Look at how Isa salam is so afraid himself. Nafsi, nafsi. Saying, begging Allah to just be saved himself. So similarly over here, the prophets will be saying, all the prophets will be saying, Ya Allah, we do not have, uh, Subhanak, did I, um, Subhanak, Qalu, Subhanak, they'll say, highly exalted, you are alone, O Allah. Ma kana yanbaghi lana, never would it have been conceivable for us to make ourselves patrons of anyone apart from you. It's not befitting. Walakin, but then why did they go astray? Walakin matta'tahum, you bestowed them and their forefathers, Aba'um, forefathers. What did you bestow them? Comfort. Comfort. Money. Enjoyment. How much? Too much. Hatta nasudhikra. In a world that they forgot your remembrance. As someone told me just yesterday, subhanAllah, you know, alhamdulillah, I, have, I, I don't want too much risk because too much risk is, every, too much of everything is no good. I said, mashallah, what beautiful thinking that is. Too much of anything is no good. Too much sweets, too much salt, and too much money. Whatever you cannot handle. That's why there's a dua. Allah mina na'udhukum min madhallati al-faqri wa batr. Allah mina na'udhukum batr al-ghina wa madhallati al-faqr. Allahu Akbar. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from the disgrace of poverty and from the arrogance of wealth. From the disgrace of poverty and the arrogance of wealth. Because too much poverty, too much poverty is also tough, no good. And too much wealth is also no good. We want to be able to handle, we want to, we want to be able to just have just enough to be able to you know, sustain ourselves and don't lead us to disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Ya Allah, you gave them all of this, that they forgot your remembrance. And thus they did become a ruined people, destitute of all goodness. One thing I want to mention here, the previous ayah talked about ibad. What is this ibad? Uh, you, uh, many of you have heard Abd has translated two plurals Ibad and Abid Wa Ibadur Rahman and Abid Two plurals of the word Abd What's the difference? Uh, the Ibad are the, uh, Okay, let's take first with Abid Abid is those servants Who are hand them, Who submit themselves to Allah In such things in which they have no choice for example, the time of death, the time of birth, the sickness, health, sustenance. You, what can you do besides submitting? You have no option besides submitting. So you don't have a free will in when you die and when you, when you, when you're, when you're born. And things of that sort. So these are the people who submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that regard. So in that regard, all humans, both Muslim and non-Muslim, are all what? Abid. And ibad are those servants who not only submit themselves to Allah in things that are beyond their choice, but in those things in which they have been given a choice. Like whether you're going to pray or not, whether you're going to guard your gaze or not, whether you are going to indulge in interest or not. In all those cases, these are the people who take the high road and say, we will not follow our deen. I'm sorry, we will not follow our desires, but we'll rather follow what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Asks us to do so. These are the chosen ones. They are who they are ibad, and that's why Allah calls them ibadur rahman. So on the day of judgment, why is Allah subhanahu wa taala calling these people adlaltum ibadi? Have you, uh, oh prophets and oh fire and oh idols, did you mislead my servants? Are these people the ones who are worshiping Allah ibad? No, right? But the word ibad has been used. Why is that? Because this dialogue is happening in the akhirah. And in the akhirah, it's all the same. Because you have, no one's got a choice for anything. So ibad and abid, everything is in one box. Right? In terms of the fact that no one has a choice, that's why the word ibad is being referred to on the day of judgment to even the disbelievers. But otherwise in the dunya, ibad refers only to the God-fearing people. That's just an interesting point I wanted to share with you. So, um, next ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Mentions, فَقَدْ كَذَّبُوكُمْ بِمَا تَقُولُونَ 
Okay, let me just explain. Let me just explain this ayat again. Uh, I don't even know what's going on over here. The uh, prophets are attributing the misguidance of the people towards too much dunya. And that's an important point for all of us to understand. That just like I was talking about technology, similarly, too much dunya, if it's not coupled with taqwa and with, with, without, without teaching people how to handle it, it will destroy a person. Many fathers naturally are worried about their children's material yani success. That's our responsibility. But I want to ask all the fathers and the sons and daughters as well, and mothers of course, to what degree are we equipping our children that once they start earning the money that they will know how to use it? It's like chemotherapy, right? It's important, needed to destroy the cancer. But if you imagine, Allah forbid, you mix chemotherapy in your, in your ruavza. Huh? Imagine if a person says, this is so powerful that I want to use this as a vitamin. A person will die, naturally, obviously. So wealth is like that. There is definite huge benefits of it. But if you don't teach people how to use it, it will kill them. So for everyone who's saving up money and wants his children to inherit from him all that money, if you don't teach them how to use it, this money will destroy their dunya as well as their akhirah. Every father who's sending off his son or daughter to college this semester, understand that do not just educate them in, earn, in, in learning how to earn but also educate them in how to be responsible with the wealth that they will earn. And so this is what the prophets are sharing here. That the reason why these people, we didn't tell them to, 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 to worship a God besides you, Ya Allah. The reason that they did this was they got too carried away with enjoying wealth. Hatta with dhikr, until they forgot the remembrance. They forgot a dhikrah, they forgot Allah. Remember, that if a healthy, wealthy man is enjoying the wealth and health from Allah, then a sick, poor man is enjoying the closeness to Allah. It's not that the poor, sick man is deprived while the healthy, wealthy man is blessed. Rather, both are blessed and both are tested. One is being tested with his health and his wealth, and one is being tested with his poverty and with his sickness. How powerful is sickness? Hadith Qudsi, famous hadith, Ya bin Adam, O son of Adam, Maridtu falam ta'udni, I became sick, yet you didn't visit me. The man will say on the day of judgment to Allah, wa kayfa a'uduka wa anta rabbul alameen. How could I have I visited you, Ya Allah, when you are the Lord of the worlds? What is that? How am I supposed to have visited you? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds, do you not know that such and such servant of mine had become ill, yet you did not go visit him? Listen, if you had gone to visit such and such sick person, any sick person, you would have found me by him. You would have found me by him. By visiting the sick, by visiting the poor, by visiting those in distress, by visiting those who lost their beloved ones, you find Allah there. And you are not, this cannot be said necessarily about someone who's enjoying health. It could be if he's doing shukr. Otherwise, no. You're not going to find Allah there. So if people of wealth and health are enjoying the blessing of Allah, let's not think that those who are deprived of that are deprived of all khair and good. What are they enjoying? They're enjoying the ma'iyya of Allah, the suhbah of Allah. They're enjoying the companionship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. فَقَدْ كَذَّبُوكُمْ بِمَا تَقُولُونَ Whereupon it shall be said to the doomed people on the Day of Judgment that yes, O Prophets, it's not your fault. That was just to set the stage. It's not your fault. Rather, كَذَّبُوكُمْ These disbelievers, are, they are the ones who belied you. They are the ones who belied you. You never told them to worship you. They belied your message that Allah is the one and, and Akhirah is coming and the Qur'an is the true word of Allah, etc. etc. They belied you. As to all that you had spoke to them and guided them regarding the divinity. Now Allah, this is called iltifat. 
then now Allah turns His attention away from the prophets to the worshippers, the non-Muslim worshippers. Now you will not be able to turn away the fire of Jahannam from yourselves. Nasra, Nor will you be able to avail yourself of any help against it. Sarf. Sarf means to turn something. The students who are memorizing all the scales of sarf know that you are in those conjugations, you are changing daraba to darib, to madrub, to darabu, darabna, etc. So similarly, and this is the root word. Sarf means to change. So what happens is sarf means to push away. There's a car coming at you, or, or, or rather, like let's say a, uh, a harmful object is coming at you, a plank of wood is coming at you, and you push it away, and you save yourself from it. That's sarf. So you're not going to, oh, oh, disbelievers, you're not going to be able to push away the fire of Jahannam from yourself. Sometimes you cannot push it away, but you call for help. Wala nasra. And you will not be able to ask anyone to come and help you to assist you in repelling this punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَمَنْ يَظْلِمْ مِنْكُمْ نُذِقُ عَذَابًا كَبِيرًا And whomsoever, thus any of you human beings who in life persist in the grave wrong of worshipping other than Allah, نُذِقُ عَذَابًا كَبِيرًا We shall make him taste a great torment in the hereafter. My beloved brothers and sisters, وَمَنْ يَظْلِمْ مِنْكُمْ Who is this dhulm? Whoever amongst you oppresses, we will make them taste a horrible, great torment. What is the meaning of dhulm here? Dhulm means to take akhdu haqq al-ghayr. Alright, to take away someone else's right. So we have a right, our body has a right to be saved from the fire of hell. Our body has a right upon us to be saved from the wrath of Allah. But when a person does such actions that will harm it, we have done zulm upon ourselves. Like we say a person who is drinking, a person who is smoking drugs or cigarettes, etc. A person who is eating extremely unhealthy food and is killing himself. In all of these instances, we'll say we are, we are doing oppression on our body. Just like a person may oppress his body, similarly a person can oppress his soul. He can oppress his ruh. When we indulge in sin, looking at what we're not supposed to look at, listening to what we're not supposed to listen to, buying and selling what we're not supposed to do, eating what we're not supposed to do, thinking what we're not supposed to do, going to places we're not supposed to go. What happens? We are suffocating our soul. We are doing zulm upon our soul. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as, as, as Arhamur Rahimeen, He says, if you oppress yourselves, I'm going to punish you. Like, imagine a person is um, a child who is, is crossing the street without looking and about to kill himself. What will happen? A father or mother will reprimand that child or that son or daughter to say, how dare you uh, 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 harm yourself to such an extent. Imagine someone did something crazy, a stunt, which he's about to harm himself in or did harm himself. The parents will get upset. Along with sympathizing, maybe taking care of his broken bone or whatnot, but they will definitely get upset that why did you harm yourself? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is arhamur rahimin. He says, if you commit a sin, by w- because of which you will be liable to go to hellfire, then you have what? Oppress yourself. And due to the oppression of that, I am going to punish you. So that's why the Quran mentions in many places this concept. Whoever does any good deed, he is only doing a good deed for himself. Whoever commits a sin, then the harm of that sin will only go right back to that. So when a person commits a sin, he is not oppressing Allah. He is not oppressing Rasulullah. He is not oppressing the Muslims. He is oppressing who? Himself. The Quran says, وَمَا ظَلَمُونَ وَلَكِنْ كَانُوا أَنفُسَهُمْ يَظْلِمُونَ That they are not oppressing ourselves. They are not oppressing us. Allah is saying, the disbelievers do not oppress us. They are oppressing none besides themselves. A clear message to today's rebellious youth who claim that the reason they want to leave Islam is because of some sort of oppression that has happened to them from their teachers, their parents, or some uh, generation above. And they feel that the way to get back against, maybe it happened, maybe oppression happened, maybe, fine. But the way you do that is not by leaving Islam. You see, they say, no, I want to, I'm angry at my parents, and I want it to hurt, I want to hurt my parents. So the way I want to hurt my parents is by leaving Islam. This is the normal chatter outside. Okay, they say, this is how I'm going to harm. Little do they know that they are not harming anyone besides themselves. And so we have to have this open discussion with our own kids who are even obedient. 
To say, son, remember, today you're praying. If you choose not to pray in the future, mind you, I won't get punished for that in my grave because I taught you from day one and right now you see you are praying. But if you ever, Allah forbid, choose to go the other way, you harm no one besides yourself. Don't ever think that you can try to harm me by doing that. You cannot harm Allah, you cannot harm the Prophet you cannot harm the Muslims, you cannot harm the Masajid, you cannot harm anyone. The only one you harm is you harm yourself. So don't try to pull out this card to say, oh subhanAllah, I've been oppressed and so this is how I'm going to. I'm going to rebel and I am going to avenge my torture or a'udhu billah, my, pun, you know, my oppression. This is what shaitan is feeding the youth today. This is what shaitan is feeding the youth today. I'm warning you. This is a very common statement by today's youth. That the reason I don't want to follow the deen is because I'm angry at my parents. The reason I don't want to get up for fajr is because of my parents and I want to make them suffer. Hence, I am going to uh, do something which will make them angry and pull out my hijab, claim to be gay, change my gender, just out of spite for my parents. These are things that we are seeing routinely now. So this discussion is important. May Allah protect us from having to suffer and be tested by such uh, children. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide those youth who are, uh, who are being misled by their nafs and by shaitan. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Whoever makes this major uh, sin, I'm sorry, this major oppression against himself, then Allah azza wa jal will punish him. You think you're going to harm yourself? Guess what? I will do the rest. Right? I will harm you. Allah Azza wa Jal, that's why it's mentioned in, in Ihya al-Ulum. Yabna uh, Adam, O son of Adam, uh, you know, Ana laka muhib, I love you. I love you. Fabihaqi alayka kunli muhibba. So I ask you in the name of my right upon you that you also love me. What does it mean I love you? Yani, I love you in the form of the fact that if you go out of line, I will punish you. Think about it. In reality, who besides a parent is going to scold a child when he makes a mistake? Right? When he does something to, to, uh, to harm himself, when he crosses the road without looking, when he does something foolish, drive, he drives recklessly, who's gonna sit there and say, you know what, we're gonna sit down till late at night and we're gonna have a discussion? No, the world doesn't care. The ones who care are your parents, your older siblings, your teachers, or whatever the case may be. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a source of all love. Hence, He says, if you do something wrong to harm yourself, you're gonna see me. And I'm gonna be upset at you. So this... Punishment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this dunya for our mistakes, in reality, this is the greatest blessing. If someone gets caught, and someone gets caught early on for a sin that they have committed, this is one of the greatest blessings and the sign that Allah loves them. If you're, you did something wrong, and then you, you get in trouble that same night, and you realize that and you connect the dots, that is a huge blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is, this, there is an ayah of Surah Fatir, uh, that those who, plot, who do the evil plotting, the evil plot eventually will turn against the evil plotters. Whoever digs a, a hole for his brother, eventually he shall fall in it himself. So I remember one scholar, when we were in Madrasa, he mentioned a talk in a, in a bayan. He said there was once, he mentioned a story. He said, one day a man came back to his house and his wife was very perturbed and crying. And he asked her, what's wrong? And he said that uh, today something really bad happened. That, you know, I was uh, 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 going through so the, the busy streets of our, of our city and a, a man came and he inappropriately touched me. And I, I, I was violated in a busy street. And so she's crying about that, being violated. Subhanallah. So as she started, as he saw her upset and crying, the husband started crying. He said, "Why are you crying?" He says, "No, no. I. What should I tell you?" He said, "No, Talisa. Why are you? Why are you so upset and crying like this? I mean, you get upset is one thing, but why are you crying?" So the man was a jeweler. He was a jeweler. You know, he ran a jewelry store. He said, "Today in my jewelry store, I had a, 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 like women come to pur purchase bangles, and so a lady came to purchase bangles." And I, it would usually what happens in the jewelry store because it's tight and it's expensive and stuff. They're not going to just give it to them. He said, I put the bangle on the lady's hand. And I was attracted to her. So when I was, as I placed the bangle on her hand, I grabbed her hand tightly. Out of lust. And he said, I now realized what goes around comes around. That I made that mistake at work today and already within the next couple hours or less, Allah Azza wa Jal has punished me in my own family. 
And so the scholars explain this ayah, that if you plot against others, you will suffer the punishment yourself. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, subhanallah, is also telling us here that punishment in one sense actually is a blessing because it wakes you up. If, they would not, if you would not receive tickets for driving recklessly, what would happen? We would die. If you get caught doing something, reckless driving at 70, 80 or 100, whatever, miles an hour, Alhamdulillah, that stops a person from, from eventually dying or killing someone else. So this is how we understand that even in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala punishing us, there is rahmah and mercy and protection from, an, from a punishment of the, of the hereafter. The last ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, moreover, we have, this is the last ayah of the 18th juz. Moreover, we have and, uh, not sent any messengers prior to you, old Prophet illa except all of them, ta'ama, were, were mortals and humans just like you. And they did two things. ta'am, they ate food. And they walked through the marketplaces. Therefore, O humanity, we want you to know, we have caused some of you to become trials and tests for others. Atasbirun am la tasbirun. Will you be patient in enduring these tests or will you not be patient? And ever is your Lord all seeing. Why has this been mentioned here? You remember just from the three durus before that the disbelievers were accusing or just not wanting to accept the message of the prophets, especially Rasulullah because they said, You are, we want an angel to come. We don't want a human being who has a life very similar to ours. We want, to, we want you to be angelic. And, and the Quran is telling that no, that would actually be counterproductive to the maqsad and the purpose. Because then you would say, you're not a good role model because you don't have no needs. We intentionally sent down prophets who are human and who have needs similar to yours. And so that you can connect with them and see how it is possible to be a successful husband, a successful father, a successful businessman while being a successful Muslim. And that was the goal of it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, this is not something unique with the Prophet Rather, all the prophets had these things in common, that they ate food, and they, they went to marketplaces because there was a need to earn and to look at the conditions of the people. The last portion of this ayah, which Allah ba'dhim ba'dhim fitna, inshaAllah, we will begin by, re, by giving a little bit more detail of this, bithinlahi ta'ala, uh, next week. A few um, announcements. If you are new to the tafsir, please quickly take a, a picture of the QR code so you can receive a weekly reminder. Uh, here and if you do not get any messages for all the rest of the programs then take a picture of the whatsapp events message if you can uh, inshallah this way you will be connected to all of our programs and live streaming uh, of, of the programs as well so that's the events group and that's the tafsir updates group that we have additionally Sunday school will be starting inshallah this Sunday from ages 6 to 16 I implore all of you who are listening to me who are local please if your sons and daughters go to public school or even go to Islamic school, please try your best to bring them here. Because the environment is necessary. We need the environment of the masjid and the madrasa. Alhamdulillah, we have students of the seminary, the alim program students who are teaching. So in the, in the girl side, mashallah, we have mostly alimas, graduates uh, and teachers of Darussalam seminary who are teaching the girls as well. So they are going to be awesome role models for your sons and daughters. They have sound knowledge. They are, they are, they are born and raised here. They're able to connect with your youth and the kids. So I request you, inshallah, that enroll your children and your neighbor's children and your relatives and business uh, colleagues' children here, inshallah, on Sunday from 10 to 1 or 10 to dhuhr, ages 6 to 16 in our Sunday school, which starts this week, inshallah. Additionally, our tafim program will uh, go back because we are off for Labor Day weekend. So tafim, the weekend adult program for high school, college students and working adults will start up, inshallah, once again, restart this Saturday and Sunday. Classes run from 10 to dhuhr. Three different classes on Saturday, three different classes on Sunday. Taught by Mufti Nu'man on Saturday and Mulan Farhan Sharif on Sunday. You can listen online or you can come in person to these classes and the classes are recorded as well. So these are the two classes that I just mentioned, the Sunday school and the Tafim program, inshallah. You can see the list of the classes there as well. And this is the, alhamdulillah, the program I, I announced a couple weeks ago. We're honored, inshallah, that Azad Mawlana Ibrahim Pandur, the student of Sheikh Zakaria, rahmullah, and a student and the attendant for many decades of Mufti, the Mufti of India, the Mufti of Dar al-Um, uh, his attendant for decades. He will be visiting on his first trip, inshallah, to the United States and the first trip to Chicago. And please look at this date, September 30th to October 1st. He'll be here at Darussalam on Sunday morning, Fajr, and Sunday night. 
The rest of the programs are listed on this uh, flyer. So I request all of you to please put that down in your calendar and try your best, inshallah, to attend in person if you are here. And if possible, to attend the other programs as well that are going to be happening that weekend. Uh, it's a, a very special honor of, 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 for this city to be hosting such a senior scholar. Alhamdulillah. And I ask Allah and I ask all of you to make dua that he arrives here safely without any difficulty. Inshallah. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept uh, whatever khair and good was said. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not make the knowledge that we're sharing a proof against us. May He make it a proof for us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not make what we say and what we hear a, a, a means of fitna for us. But may He make it a means of blessing for us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to practice on the khair that was shared. Allow us to propagate it to others. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to have connection with the book of Allah azza wa jal. And with gatherings of knowledge and gatherings of dhikr. Ameen ya rabbil alameen. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Subhanakallahum bihamdik. Nishadu la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.